I'm Cindy Temi. I'm Gracie May. I'm Ola Awaya. And we are Friend Beats. your favourite Afropop podcast. Oh, crap! Episode 13. I did the research. Oh, exactly. Oh, wearing black trainers. Bosa. Sorosake! Are you speaking now? Alright. <laughs> <laughs> guys, whoo, child of the ghetto. You guys may have seen last week's episode. Insert clip here. <laughs> but anyway, no, just to clarify, we are obviously, it was a very heated debate where opinions were exchanged. Um, and yeah, just to clarify, we are friends. Um, and I think that's probably why it got heat. You know I don't do hugs, girl. It's the Virgo in me. Okay. Oh, oh, Miss P is probably thinking, I don't get a hug. But anyway, no. Um, but yeah, as you guys know, obviously there were a heated debate, which I guess the crux and crannies of everything is, it's not about not raising awareness. We understand the importance of doing so. I guess it's just to understand what the significance, the significance of doing it. Yeah, and obviously I, I am not, you know already, even at the time we had that conversation, I had already done the part I could play in by virtue of being in the diaspora online. I think it was a case of just pushing the boundaries and trying to find out why one must, angels, if it be angels advocate. Angels advocate. Yeah, yeah we we don't work advocate. with the devil. But um, we are still open to comments and you know thoughts and whatnot. But obviously, keep them constructive. Because you know you what? Really as well, though, I think we can. <laughs> <laughs> so shame. I am. I? Let's continue. Um, no, but I think we can um, disagree in terms of matter of opinion without falling out as friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to everyone that's trying to stoke the fire. And I oh no, I, I yeah, I mean, look, I don't know if it's, you know, an only child thing where <laughs> no. y'all don't disagree with people on a daily basis. Well, both, I know you're yeah, yeah, I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in fact, bully me. But um, in my house, I fight with at least one person every day. <laughs> so I'm used to fighting with people and then just making up. In fact, yeah. not, even, not even making up, just moving like it Aaron, happens. So do you know who's very good at that? Mama T. Who's that? That's my mum's so like I don't know African parents have a way of not apologising but offering you food Mm. Um, and I wonder food is ready food is ready like bruh you just shouted at me (laughs) for a long time (laughs) and I'm as a Virgo notice that it's not an excuse but I do tend to hold grudges but like I said this was a friendly it wasn't a friendly debate no but it was a debate that needed to had and I think you know what some people even came to me and was like I actually agree with Cindy Mm. Um, her delivery was a little bit sharp that was the problem but (laughs) I agreed with what she was saying and then other people did say yeah actually um, Honor and you did seem like you were ganging up on Cindy and I was like by virtue of having three people there is always going to be two on one right at some point and to be honest I do feel and I'll be 100% honest listening obviously I don't want to listen to it back but listening back even the point I'm making it comes across as it seems as though I'm not prepared to tweet, mm. but I think I'm just challenging the perceptions yeah. on why do I have to cheat? To cheat? Why do I have to tweet? Mm. And it's like the message people, are, even the people that did agree with me, they're saying fair enough, even if they agreed, but you came across as so challenging mm. that it's, it's hard like to receive. it was hard to receive. And someone said, like, I get what she's saying, but she just wanted to argue. That's not the case at all. It was more about. I think having the point and trying to understand, look, there is a, there's a expectation. It's more, you can, morals. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You can, it's morally right to address the situation, but, but nobody has, has an obligation. No one has an obligation. And I equally but, think there's just, yeah. there's multiple, there's multiple layers to the conversation as we're seeing now. Like NSARS is really just the beginning of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, there is going to be so many people that think, is this the right way? And so on and so forth. And that's fair enough. And that's not necessarily what you were saying, mm. but it is starting a conversation as to is it just a hashtag that we need because 
Nigeria needs reform in general. And I think that's why this podcast and this platform is so important because there's a conversation happening in Nigeria. We are Nigerians in the diaspora. We're yeah. still affected by what happens at home. Yeah. We still and have an opinion. Nigerian, right. You should buy even exact and this is another thing in the time of even initially bringing it to light the more stories you hear about what people have been through mm. is mad. You are you will feel almost obliged to actually tweet. Right. Even if you're retweeting stories that you've heard, even if you're retweeting some of the things that you've seen on the timeline, not necessarily graphical stuff, because that's not really nice and ideal, but you, it's almost you'll hear something and not feel the need to share it, whether it's in a WhatsApp group, whether it's on an Instagram post, mm. whether it's just telling someone, like an adult, an elder in mm. these groups. Like I've seen some comments from elders in their WhatsApp groups some of them still need to change, yeah. but... And the reality of it is that we have to remember that at the start of the Black Lives... And this is why I think we're likening it to Black Lives Matter. At the start of it, people really did not really realise why it was their problem. Um, it was a mm. part of the conversation because people didn't realise how ridiculous some of these situations were. They think it doesn't exist. Exactly. And then we had to get to the stage. How many stages of understanding were there for us to understand how crazy it is to be a black person in America, to then understand that that actually lives in the UK, mm-hmm. to how many people had to share their stories of their, their experience of police in this country. Like, we went through multiple layers before people understood that I also can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're still in that stage now. Because mm-hmm. so many people have been called out in terms of them not speaking, not necessarily because they're, um, they're someone of significance and so on, but just because people need to, res- they need to keep the same energy. You know what, I'm cautious that we don't want to make this a second episode of part two. So if you haven't watched or listened to previous episode, please get involved at Throwbeats Podcast on all social media platforms and obviously Throwbeats on all places where you listen to your ordinary podcast. With that said, we've spoken a lot about hashtags, which is a nice segue onto the Twitter timeline. I'm hoping by our next series we'll have like a full on... um, We don't have a jingle. You know what? So in our crew, we have an artist. Hey. We're looking at you, sir. You better pattern that. Over to you. It could be like an Afrobeat song. Ooh. TT. I got a TT. Anyway. So, um, I would just quickly let you know that I was at the NSARS vigil yesterday. Yes. Were you guys there? No. no I, I was holding it down for, for the, the team. Um, and so, Online protester. <laughs> last week we actually protest outside the Nigerian embassy um, asking for reform and while we were there. Um, again, last episode I mentioned that we got the announcement that SARS had been disbanded. So, yay. Yesterday was actually a vigil in Trafalgar so Square. Screaming. We're gonna to touch on that in a second. But um, yesterday was a vigil to um, commemorate or to remember all the lives lost. So again, we've spoken about some of the stories that we've heard online. Some people actually took the mic and spoke about their actual experiences with SARS. There was Muslim prayers, there were um, Christian prayers. We did worship, as in Af worship, na 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 na, as well as like hymns, as well as um, uh, Muslim people don't actually have songs in in their religion. They chant i don't know if that's the right word i'm sorry um but they recite stuff so we did there was some re- reciting i'm so sorry <laughs> thank you i'm getting thumbs up from the only muslim in the room so i'm happy with that um <laughs> we lit candles we released lanterns and there were did thousands you guys provide your own stuff so um i was affiliated with the planning team okay yeah. so um those that were had um 
masks that said Nigerians lives matter and then oh. stop killing us t-shirts we were also provided with candles but there were, there were people that were actually giving out candles I was gonna obviously say some people know. brought their own and yeah. okay. um, the lanterns were from the organizing committee and we had um MP Kate come through and give a little speech as well she's mm-hmm. the former secretary of international development mm-hmm. so it was great to have somebody f- uh, from the member of parliament present and yeah all in all I mean the police were a little bit higgy because they were like y'all know 10 o'clock everyone's got to be home because we're still under curfew but it was actually 8 45 so thank you for the early morning <laughs> <laughs> it's not yeah. like when you're outside yeah um, and they were also like can you like every 10 minutes I'm like can you tell everyone to take two steps back social distancing which no. obviously we announced because we had to um, and actually Nigerian people for once listened everyone was trying to be very cooperative um, and actually I did have a one to one conversation with a female officer who also what's this all about and it was great to be able to explain to somebody <laughs> she had been there the whole time <laughs> okay, mind you but um, maybe it was the accent <laughs> maybe she, she didn't have the language she doesn't have twitter anyway to a time <laughs> that was um, the ensar's vigil and that's the reason in all honesty i yeah. feel like that the idea that that is still happening that people are still that that unaware of what's happening while you were there the whole time while you were there the whole time that people what are did she think we come out to do people are hiding in plain sight of this information it's disgraceful like in all honesty yeah. it's disgraceful i think as well like there was a whole section where they were actually calling out the names of some of the victims sis what did you think we were yeah, doing yeah, yeah. it just but then that's they they think we're so weird that's what i mean <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Go ahead. And they have literally strayed away. The Jollof rice is not even orange. 
or red. It's like a grey. However, they're a Michelin starred restaurant. They were one of the first to do it, and that is now their brand. So and they've got are... like a prime time spot in Piccadilly Circus. Yep. And it's um correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's Nigerian and Japanese fusion. Maybe uh, it's Chinese. He's, uh, can we say Asian? Let's say Pan Asian. Yeah, Pan Asian, yeah. Um, and then yeah. And the soup. Have you guys been? Have you been to Equity? They do like a suya beef, but it is quite nice though. In the red, no, but it, yeah, but it's like sliced, and I'm used to seeing cold. my yeah, and it's like rare, like blue, mm. and then they're like sprinkle, sprinkle suya, and it's like also oh, this is just, this is just beef. However, they are getting away with it, and one of the points I was gonna say is that even if people weren't fans of Equity, in the manner of what I've seen on Twitter, the commentary allows me to think that because of people's accessibility to potentially those in charge of the establishment allows people to sometimes to be a bit over familiar with some of the comments that they make now i'm not defending any brand whatsoever i did have my own experience and i was very constructive in terms of what went down on the day um just haven't shared it yet <laughs> um but like i think in terms of i am all for african fusion i'm gonna get you guys opinions now so i'm all for african fusion like if i wanted rice and stew i know where i need to go i'm gonna to go to your average joe's <laughs> in the midst of thames mead east london east london and Finchley. um but like so i feel like for that experience it's really nice that i think it's really nice to mix afrofusion now you haven't been sorry why why do i think okay so no this is not me latching onto the western side of things but i just feel like for example it's just we spend a lot of money when we go out to these expensive restaurants in the west end at times and i feel like it is nice to actually be able to go somewhere and not just have food that you can actually cook at home so even the money that i would spend in an expensive restaurant up london is not necessarily a dish that i'm doing Sorry. <laughs> Where do you live, Sydney? Like, you can just say up London. Yeah. She's in the sticks. Up I'm London. in the sticks. Are you? Yeah. Anyway. Well, barely. Yeah, barely. 20 mile per hour roads with one lane open. Are we going to talk about congestion chat? That is on the Twitter time. We're going to talk about that. That's on Twitter time. But yeah, so basically, I'm just saying that it's nice to be able to spend a little bit more money on something that I'm not going to be able to make deconstruction. So I'm just going to ask can you only get that with Afrofusion? Like, you don't know any high end African restaurants? That will give you that same elite experience. Don't tell me Shaka Zulu. In the UK. Not Shaka Zulu. In Shaka Zulu, they give you like zebra and alligator. That place that is, is not for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm think, like, I think that was too much. No. I just want you to have like really nice and like, I don't expect to eat an ostrich. Do you know what I mean? That's a bit much. Well, that they is have ostrich eggs. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, to your point, I. Yes. So you can only get that elite experience with a fusion restaurant yeah. at the moment, with the options we have in London. But are we, why are we calling it a fusion restaurant? Because it could have, the fusion bit is obviously, uh, the fusion bit is the Egusi ravioli. Yeah, because even, you saw the space. Pasta is not in our, yeah. neither was the time fuckishini. Ghanians, they have pasta as like, they have spaghetti. Yeah, yeah, But I, I think even that's like a evolvement. I don't oh, think right, that okay. was like. Any, anyone wants to comment? Yeah, guys in the background. Oh, it's noodles. Uh, even noodles. Name. Somebody said spaghetti. There's even a specific name for it. It's noodles. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So your opinion on fusion? She's up for okay, it. Okay. So personally, I feel like, um, and we talked about this before in terms of how we treat restaurants mm. in the black community. We are way too critical of what the food looks like um, and what the food tastes like. So too often we expect that we're going to pay for jollof rice and it's going to taste like your mum's. 
not realistic. <laughs> Can your mum even cook? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to taste like the party rice of your auntie at church when she makes it for just the people at your church. And so actually, we end up in the situations where we don't want to pay £10 for a meal that actually is worth £10 but just doesn't taste the way you expect it to, it to taste. That's the problem with the black community when it comes to restaurants, in my opinion. Now, when you then perpetuate that into thinking about things like Afrofusion, people are then, to some extent, I feel like they're upset because they don't know what they're going to get rather than just being excited about the idea that it's a different experience. And so then adding to the idea that we don't have a lot of restaurants that give us the good customer service that we want alongside the good food, I feel like people people are actually probably just going to talking drum thinking that they were going to be a... <laughs> <laughs> people are just going there thinking that they were going to be a better 805 and then they get there oh are we oh. <laughs> yeah, what are we advertising I missed that I'm sorry at this point <laughs> <laughs> but anyway people are basically sorry guys but anyway welcome to the conversation for those of you that might need to backtrack um, but people are going to these um, honestly it's hot are you guys going to lose endorsements or something? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get them. Anyway, so but I personally think that people are going there now in the position where they're now can, they were expecting that they were going to tick all the boxes that we've never ticked of all of these African restaurants in the UK. And actually they wanted to do something different. Let them and judge them based on what they're doing mm. as opposed to whether or not it's what you wanted. Because that's what we do. My argument Nigeria is what is the point of Afrofusion? Like, are we trying to convert people that wouldn't ordinarily eat African food to African food? Like, because usually they prefer the more authentic stuff with the more authentic flavors. Or are we trying to have an elevated experience? And then why can't we just have like a Enish to point up or like a eight or five to point up? I mean, <laughs> you said it. <laughs> you freed it. Um, and if we want to have high-end experience when it comes to African food. I feel like the reason why we haven't got a super luxury brand, even though Stork is there and there's like a few others, is because I genuinely feel <laughs> like Nigerian people will be like, £20 for jollof rice when I can get it for £5 at Tasty? I feel like that's where the discrepancy is as opposed to there not being... Well, there's no demand for it. So, and, and for me, I haven't seen any other culture do fusion. Why are we always oh, pandering? Yeah. Asian. Where? Fusion with who? They might do like pan-Asian, so like Cosmo, where they have like a little bit of Indonesia, a little bit of China. All of their food is just beige. Everything is fried. What about Jimmy? Is it Jimmy? Is it Jimmy? Yeah, same thing. Yeah, no, no, no. no. <laughs> No, There's another one in Barking, R- R- JRB, you know I don't know. <laughs> but my point is, I haven't ever really seen fusion done well. Italians are not trying to put a Gucci in their spag bowl. They're not trying to put um, Atarodo, or not even, that's a spice. They're not even trying to put Ogbono oh, in, in their um, cream pasta. But you say that. They're not. I've seen so Ogbono in dishes. Of course, it's international. And Caribbeans do it without chopping up and making it draw soup. They make yeah. make it with like spices and stuff. My point is, why are we always trying to panda? Just make good food well and people will come. But then I feel like I do agree with that, but I do think that we have to remember we have to remember how far it is 
for how far Africa has to go in terms of the perception it has for the rest of the world. Mm. And sometimes mm. maybe what they're doing is that they're trying to get ahead of that because for too long has Africa been seen, be seen as this place that isn't cool. We've only gotten to the stage where Afrobeats is now changing the way we view the Do you know though that if we only cater to the 54 countries in Africa, it would still be fine. We have and a similar we're palette. Same, we're the same people that are complaining about jollof rice being too much and not and it not tasting like my mum's. And again, I think the jollof wars, if you want to call it that, is very superficial. Like, in really and truly, if you prefer Ghanaian, you're going to have the basmati. If you prefer the long grain, you're going to have Niger. The Senegalese will still say that they own it. The every, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like at a very superficial level because when you go to an interview in America, there's nothing else to talk about. They don't really know anything else about West Africa. Mm. Do you know what I mean? In the grand scheme of things, what is like the purpose of fusion? Love. Nothing. Mm. Nothing. Because if they want authentic African food, they're actually going to go for authentic as opposed to fusion. Fusion, you're trying to reach everybody and you miss everybody. So stick to one box. So probably <sighs> more so in, a, in an environment when there's not actually a lot of people trying to take the product. And I also think with the restaurant that you specifically made, which I won't repeat, you're in a strip where there are many authentic mm-hmm. African restaurants that are doing it well. Mm-hmm. Who are you trying to cater to? The bougie? Maybe that's it. Maybe you're trying to be different. Because how hard is it to consistently be the person that's adding to the narrative? Maybe you just want to be different. Maybe they do. Okay, should we move on? Yeah, (laughs) let's do that. So yeah, let us know your thoughts, you know, whether or not is the way to go, whether you've actually tried their food or not. Um, Not them specifically, in general. In general, general. Afrofusion. And if you've got any other examples of any Afrofusion And if you have examples of your own. Because I would want to know what that looks like. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Any private caterers, I'm available for tasting. Yeah. It's yeah. true. It's true. It's true. Um, all right. So another um, topic. Another topic on the Twitter timeline. So basically, in the news, um, an 18 year old mum has been charged with killing her 20 month old daughter through neglect, left her home alone for six days. She also walked out on her birthday. So it was on her 18th birthday that she left the baby. Let's deconstruct this, right? Because we need to be... Let's talk about the I want to be sensitive, um, and I don't want to offend anyone, but at 18, I remember where I was 11 years ago. Um, I was not a fully formed person. Yeah, I'm, I'll be 29 next week, guys. Look at that 25 forever, okay? Um, I wasn't a fully formed person. I was looking at options for uni. I think for the first half of being 18... I was considering what degree to do and then I was doing my degree. Mm-hmm. I think being uh and I know teenage parent we usually think of like 14, 15, but at 18 you're still she not a fully ever, yeah. formed person. And so I don't want to look at her in isolation. I want to look at the support network. Like where was her family? Where were her friends? Mm-hmm. Where was the social system as well? Because I believe when you have a child at that age, you do get allocated somebody mm-hmm. to oh, support. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, especially um, if you don't have anyone. Yeah. yeah. And if you go home, like, usually when you go home, oh, I guess it's been 20 months, actually. Right. Mm. And um, her mental stability, because you would know Mm. that if you leave a child who, at 20 months, is not able to really talk, is probably walking, Mm. and maybe can't say full sentences, clearly can't cook for themselves. If you leave a child of that age alone for six days, you know what the outcome's going to be. You have to know. There's so many other factors I think we need to consider. And I agree, and I think think that's also the things in terms of, like, obviously we, we don't know what her mental we don't um, we don't know what her mental health was looking like we also know that, she, know that she doesn't have a family we know i don't know if we guys we have said this but her support system in terms of her mum i think her mum also had mental health issues right, right okay. um so i mean that's hereditary yeah and um, so in terms of like what and i don't think I don't, i'm pretty i'm not sure if she was in and out of care but i know it did affect her so that in that situation we don't know how that relationship has then meant she 
she knows how to or doesn't know how to care for um, mm. someone else. But I think what I was most interested, what I think we haven't really covered is, like, fair enough, she left on that birthday, but was it actually six days that she was intending to be away? Yeah. Like, we, anything could have happened over those six days. That meant it took that long for her to come home. That might not. I'm not saying it's okay that you leave a 20 month at all, but I'm just saying that, is there a situation in which it wasn't supposed to be six days and something else happened? I, I want to be careful that we're not excusing yeah, the yeah, behavior. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we're just trying to reach for broader context because mm-hmm. in isolation, if you leave a child at that age by themselves, you know what the outcome will be. And also, why don't you just hate them? But so. I also want to try and <laughs> put it in context <laughs> to the fact that for them to charge her, mm. I mean, we know all of us as legal graduates that they're usually softer with sentencing when it comes to women, mm. that there must have been... More. There must have been. Mm. Mm. And I can't think of any extenuating circumstances that will justify that. Can you? Yeah. I just don't know what you would be doing for six days. That's, and that's, why, that's what I said. Where were you? But then that was the reason why I said, like, that's the thing that I'm interested to know because to me, I, the, like, I'm thinking about it in a very logical manner in terms of like assuming that the mental health issues aren't enough for you to sit there and think that six days is wild um, and trying to take away the idea that it's her birthday and the stereotype that might come with that in terms of what she wanted to do with that day and so on mm-hmm. and just think six days, like surely the time ran away, not ran away from you, but, and, but it's like you said, in terms of the charge of manslaughter, we are in a position where actually there, there must be so much more that as if she there. would have gone and come back and found her child in that state also the child when the child was found was breathing it was when it got to hospital but um, how would the child survive six days only jesus can survive 40 i don't know how anybody else would do six anyway there's a lot that we never know there's i mean there's a similar story out not similar in terms of but in terms of you don't get a full picture in terms of what's been reported so without actual full context it's difficult to make judgment um and it's easy the way that the newspapers report these stories you can only i mean they've posted pictures with her and her daughter they look nothing but happy yeah matching ankara outfits it's um yeah it's really difficult to say what happened but yeah we pray that she does rest in peace and who knows we might see an outcome of the story a little bit more but you know another story sorry that hasn't i still doesn't sit well with my spirit yeah i wanted to touch on that as well yeah Yeah, go ahead so basically um you guys may or may not know so there was a young nurse that was found her body was found on a beach um in bournemouth Bournemouth, whilst being away on work for a week a week week. at a care home now first week there as well first week there however if we are presented with the facts okay so apparently she called her boyfriend she was on the phone to her boyfriend and she said can you just be on the line whilst i go to the beach Right, or walk to the beach or the sea. And it was at around one a.m. Right. So this, yeah. So this is what doesn't sit well with me. One twenty-six. What are you doing? Going to the beach by yourself. By yourself, in Bournemouth. Uncomfortable enough to have somebody else on the line with you. What was the context of that conversation? Now, there's been many angles to this, and once again, without trying to offend, we do not speak ill of the dead. But there's many contexts to. I know there's an angle right now because a lot of people are saying what actually happened and anything could have happened. She could have been pushed to the limit where she felt she needed to leave the space that she was in or the environment that she was in. But if we're honest about the conversations and what actually may have transpired, like why would you leave where you are at 1am? What was your, what, we don't know the conversation she had with her boyfriend. What was she feeling like? What was she thinking? I know her mom is wants answers as to, but then I feel like they're looking for answers 
what is the context of and that conversation presented itself for the police to say that this is not suspicious yeah. that and that is and, and and it's very easy for us to say look we know how the police deal with us in general mm-hmm. and i don't want us to like just throw words out there but we have to understand that the police are going to be presented with facts and information and they can only work with what they are given so it's and like so there was a part of the story right where she where her shoes right yes yeah. yeah. and, and her phone were found feet away from her body mm. and again i don't even really want to get to the second part of that sentence but at what point do you take off your shoes in your phone like there's just there's too many gaps there's, there's too also, many gaps personally i think it's the point that you made in terms of like at what point in time are the facts of the case enough for you to get to the stage where it's not it's suspicious right or it's not suspicious equally the same situation and maybe it has a wider question because the question i was going to ask was that at what point in time does journalistic integrity mean that we stop with these many holes in the story and mm. just a- arrive at the conclusion? Because I feel like there's too many situations in which you, you have gotten people emotionally, not invested, invested but for, like, yeah. for lack of a better word, invested in a story. And then when we're left with all of these gla- gaps and the world is looking for closure in these stories, not knowing, and this is how you end up in situations where parent perpetuate fear. Yeah. of you doing anything oh. because these stories that's are go, that's going around on whatsapp 100 yeah. percent. she's a 21 year old girl still studying yeah and we all know that at 1am that we could have been walking around as well we could have like, we've been out later together yeah. all in three of us exactly mm-hmm. in that situation so then it's then like I, I i personally think the reason those stories never sit well with me is the idea that you can report on something that has no ending that has no mm. it has no um ability for us to close the case like or you don't even report on it sharing that this is going to be something that doesn't give closure or doesn't close like it doesn't and end. i think the main point that has even been trending is what we don't know is x amount but what we do know still gives us enough to know that this should be suspicious yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and why is everybody else i guess outside of the bubble outside of the community not treating it as such yeah. unless they're privy to information that we're not aware of yeah. but even then with the info we have yeah. it's like at what point does any of that even lend itself to it not being suspicious? Yeah. Why would she be out at 126 walking by herself? Yeah. Why would she feel in so much danger that she has to call a boyfriend? And a friend as well, actually, I believe it on the line. Like, in your first week, in an unfamiliar environment. Yeah. As black girls, we know we wouldn't do that. I also think as well, and I don't want to make this one about like, sort of like just COVID, COVID and oh. Black Lives Matter mm. and so on. But like, I liken it to how, and we talked about this in terms of how the media were quick to jump on the idea that black people are four times more likely to die of COVID with no information, nothing. They just published this mm. and it, it took... How was it supposed when to When we weren't even getting COVID, no, initially. And, and, and the, only, the only data that they had were based on the nurses and the doctors that were getting it. On the, so, on the people that are dying. Yeah. And so it was like, they published this and literally put everyone into a frenzy at that point. With no solution. And, and they no put us solution. in danger. Because then we know... And wasn't that the same week where they were like, oh yeah, Congo has agreed to just start human vaccination on random volunteers. It was just crazy. And it was like, and then you were then in a situation where everyone is now sitting there, we're like, I can't even go to the shops right now. Because I'm I'm high risk. Because I'm black. And like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I'm now in this situation. This is really my life. And then the idea that it took weeks before someone then said we should then do a review into why. Have they even These, done this is what I mean. Remember, about they did the review and then the results were inconclusive. inconclusive. This is what I mean in terms of the so idea of journalistic integrity. So, all How they did was that? stoke a fire, create yep. fear, 
and oh, then they, no, but you know why and this is why I said it was funny that it came out the same week where they said they're going to be doing vaccines on black people even though in Africa we had the lowest reported cases mm-hmm. it seemed as if it links with each other if you supposedly have the highest infection rate then it would make sense that we're testing on black people right without that context there was no real justification for starting your testing of vaccines in Africa but mm-hmm. we haven't had that but many then cases. now they're starting the vac- vaccines on black people they already did. Oh, no, they, they, they took the money. No, they said that they need more black people to put themselves forward. But this is in the UK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so they need more no black oh. people are putting themselves forward. Yeah, because we don't want to die. Yeah, yeah. And also because I want to see the same percentage of white people that they want black. Oh, I want to see the same percentage. Loud it. Yeah, the same percentage of black people in the country. I want to see them have taken the vaccine before I even hear PIM mm-hmm. about black people taking it. White people, yeah. So And also, let's not forget in the 60s, um, America was purposefully sterilizing black people mm. with the syphilis vaccine um and i don't want and this is a conspiracy theory you can call me a conspiracy theorist um i don't want to be that person and i think we because we, I, I guarantee any of the people that signed up to those drug trials didn't know that they were going in for sterilization meaning not. that they didn't know that they were not going to be able to be fertile yeah. how do we know this is not 2.0 and i feel okay. like in the, in the uk sorry we're just a little bit more savvy than about black americans but i don't want to stir anything but i think i think we need to we also need to think exactly our stories are different and we need to think about like there is no smoke without fire and i think there's too many situations in which there are there are there are um, situations where we are we currently don't do not believe Mm -hmm. um the vaccine story we can talk about hiv and aids and one in four black people in um zimbabwe have aids we can talk about that we can talk about um um cocaine and all of the drugs and (laughs) cocaine in um in Harlem and all of the things that and how they pushed it into the ghettos exactly you can talk about all of those things in terms of the idea that there's conspiracy theories and personally I just think I personally and this is what oh don't forget the big one that apparently um, Martin Luther King didn't actually die from the gunshot they shot him and he was apparently in a hospital bed and someone from the CIA smothered him which is the biggest conspiracy theory okay you guys don't know about this I've not heard that one but <laughs> I can do some reading yeah, yeah but bro there's people in the studio that heard but I think personally like the idea that there are that many in terms of how the treatment of black people in history and the idea that we're now in a situation where we could just find ourselves in that situation again and we are we're, not yeah we're not going to do it. and this is what I mean about the idea point where we can define our own narrative mm-hmm. you don't have to inflict that on us yeah and SARS and SWAT Mm-hmm. And this is what I mean about journalistic integrity. Yeah. I just cannot believe that people are still producing materials like this without thinking about the men. We talk about mental health so much and we don't think about how it's actually going to affect the people and the stories that they're releasing. And then on top of that, the government have no accountability for it after that. And no solution. Yeah. The results were inconclusive. What did we do with that? And then they came and sent Kemi Badenoch to come and tell us that it was inconclusive because she's black. And she also is the minister, but I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> on top ridiculous. of that, we had cases with Belly Majinga where we know that somebody with COVID spat on her. We know it. Meanwhile, there was a case... But the was report a, was said that the person didn't have COVID, so her death was inconclusive. Was she a, died from corona after somebody with corona spat on her. The, the, the person... There was also then a case... This was the, the, the reason why they then repealed it again. There was a case, I think, about three weeks later in Scotland of a police of, officer who got shot at... I mean, got shot, spat at... Um, of someone that had COVID and that person ended up in jail. Yeah, and the policeman was able to charge. And some people argue, oh, it's because it was a police officer. No, the crime was the same. You spat at somebody yeah. while you knew you were infected yeah. with the intention. Remember, mens rea with the intention yeah. to infect Loud them. it. Sorry, anything else Quite on the timeline? Interesting. Um, yeah, and then the last one I'm just going to quickly touch on this is when Africans say they're going back to their home country to invest, what does that mean? 
Oh, do you guys want to hear my idea for an app? Go on. Okay, so to be honest, people, if you want to take it, I'm, I'm, I'm freely giving it away. Um, because <laughs> I've got loads of ideas for apps in terms of how we can save the world. My idea for an app, okay, in this situation. Oh, I'm starting to think English. Should I not do it? Copyright it. Okay, cool. Trademark. <laughs> I'm going to do it tomorrow. Case well. law trademark. That's yes, fine. You said it in person. Okay, yeah. cool. So my idea is that I personally think that what we need to do in terms of sending money back home is that we need to end up in a situation where we make this we make this electronic, but also we start to think about how we can better serve communities. So let's imagine all of us are from Ondo State, okay? Um, and all of us send five pounds back home to some grandma, okay? Or someone, okay? Oh, we need, yeah. Okay. <laughs> now we know that in Nigeria there are they have more technology um, in that country than they do in the rest of Africa in terms of mobile phones. In Nigeria. In Nigeria, though. Okay. Um, in terms of mobile phones, because we are very big victims of sending phones home. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone has done it. Um, and so I have a phone that's on this way. <laughs> exactly, and we do that consistently. Um, so then the question is about what they value versus what we think that they should value, and how we can make sure that actually. You send your money to a central community who would then have to make a central decision for how that money is used. So rather than us spending five, five pounds to send to grandma so that she can buy bread and X, Y, Z, actually you send it to a central pot. They all have to virtually agree, boom, 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 money is spent and then the community benefits as opposed to the individual. The only flaw with that is we know that there's hierarchy with regards to the elders having a weightier say. Mm. So there's no reason why you would drive in Surulere as an example mm. where this person and this person have pulled their money. So in front of their house the road is smooth. In front of the next person's house <laughs> it's unpaved, mm. it's ditched, sewers are open. <laughs> so this is this is why this is why the app rules. So actually in that situation if the money if the money speaks and everyone just has to um, agree that this is it, the conditions and so on can be patterned later. Because it's not their money. It's the community's money. I like the idea. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the obviously, there's lots of things that will make it difficult, and it probably needs to test it in places like Kenya before you go to Nigeria. Absolutely. Um, but it is the reality of the situation. But anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> so, I, I to answer the question with regards to. Um, what was the question? So, so basically, when we when Africa. So, let me give you the context. So, somebody's tweeted when Africans say they're going back home to their country to invest, what does that look like? What does it mean? So, somebody retweeted saying, many people will answer this and sound like colonizers, but let me rest. Then somebody said they want to go back to their home countries to exploit, point blank period. None of them want to invest. They want the big houses and the big cars. No one wants to give back. I keep thinking of ways I can actually invest in Cameroon with what I have. I hate that I'm poor. So to agree with that, I think when I was um, in Nigeria during the December, a lot of the conversations I had with my age mates, our age mates was like, yeah, you're right. The way you look at Peckham, Brixton, Tottenham and say, oh, these guys are coming as gentrifiers. We are doing exactly the same. We are saying we have more capital. We are saying we have a vision of what we think Nigeria should be without doing the groundwork to see what Nigerians think Nigeria should be. And mm. and as much as we are Nigerians, we are Nigerians in the diaspora. Mm. And we don't always understand the cultural context. We don't always understand what the, the groundwork that has already happened. Mm. We don't always understand the history. Mm. Um, and all we know is that, ah, our 1k will now go so far mm. so we're going to take that one grand and we're going to do x mm. um and i think in as much as we look at, at like i say at, at white people that come into areas like brixton as gentrifiers um and buying out all the locals we do exactly the same when we don't do the groundwork the right research and it's and these are the opinions that were given to me mm. 
And I agree to an extent. Like, if I haven't lived in Nigeria, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the counter argument is just because you've lived in Nigeria doesn't mean you know best. I was going to say, because some of them even do it, live in there. Right. It just means you have, I guess, more cultural context. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're necessarily more educated. Mm-hmm. Just the last point to that story before you jump in was, um, with all of that said, I think if you're able to find a partner on the grounds who has the same vision as you, that has the cultural context, if you have the funds, mm-hmm. then of course, invest, why not? It's your homeland still. Yeah. I think like so I did a dissertation on this at some point um, it wasn't specifically on this but there was like a whole chunk of the literature review that talked about this um, and one of the main things was about the idea that yeah like basically we are western we are African colonizers and um, doing exactly the same thing perpetuating the same thing that's been done to us and so on and um, um, one of the <laughs> from the best <laughs> um, and actually that was one of the comments that came back to me after it was published in terms of you think that you can save the world like you and your we white just got, saviour, yeah, black exactly, saviour complex. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You and your we just got backs um, in terms of <laughs> that mentality of people that want to go back there and save it. And my challenge was essentially what you just said, that it's just like, at some point in time, we need to think what speaks, more, what's more important. You can teach knowledge mm. and you can, you can experience culture, but we're not in the situation of the Foreign and Commonwealth Office when the Africa Directorate have eight people from Nigeria because none of them are Nigerian. Mm. That is because of that's ignorance because in that country you need to culture speaks mm. right so for us to have the education and have half of the culture we can make the headway and also we can work with those on the ground but to assume that we're going to go in with just our idea and like you said not actually be looking for that cultural relevance that is the assumption that allows us to be seen as the we just got backs the black saviors and so on and so forth because those people don't have the education mm. in which we're trying to provide. Like at some point in time, we have to meet in the middle with all of our all of our tools. I don't think we want to. Though. I think a lot of us go to invest in Nigeria and say, you know, we want to monopolize. That industry is in its infancy. It could mm. be bolts. It could be Uber. It could be as in uh, taxis, right? Mm. It could be apps. Like we know that there's this whole fintech um, resurgence that's happening, and we're like, okay, nobody has monopolized that industry. I want my stake, which you're right, makes us. <laughs> the colonizers because yeah. we realize that there's no real structure there's no real so what's the alternative guidance mm. and this is what i said you have to partner with somebody on the ground who has a cultural relevance you can bring your western knowledge and you have to see how does it apply to that culture specifically because there is this whole western bias where we think because it works in in england and the u.s that it will work at home mm. and the other bias to that bias is we think that the uk and the u.s way is the right way mm. it works in those spheres because it's catered and built for those people. Mm. We have to be able to adapt the principles and the success stories, lift and shift to make it make sense in our own cultures. And that's why I feel like, and, I, and, and that's why I feel like the only way that you can do it is if you bring the experience and those people are willing to bring, you bring the knowledge and those people are willing to bring so the experience. that guy, you haven't spoken about finding someone that we can trust. That's another one. Uh, in um, in well, Nigeria? In my what just wrong with your money? Okay, there's a quick one, just to round it up actually. There was a time where you have to, I can't remember, I don't know if it's Asia, or Dubai, but when you're investing in a company in that country, you actually have to have somebody either on the board or a partner of that nationality mm. from that country um, in the business. I think mm. you should also have things Dubai, like yeah. percentage yes. amounts of um, staff members that have to do it. Like obviously, we know that's a really big issue in Chi- in Nigeria in terms of Chinese, Chinese companies mm. going over and saying that they're going to employ X amount of Nigerians and, they and then they do. just do and they all never do. Chinese. Tom, yeah. It's not just uh, Nigeria though. I went to Saint Kitts last December, and there were construction sites that were only Chinese. I remember we did a whole podcast on the Chinese restaurant that wouldn't serve oh, non-Chinese. Yeah. 
Everyone's mad. Everyone's so okay. We're um, Yeah, that has been a majority of the topic on Twitter timeline. Obviously, there was one um, about a lady grabbing another lady's neck for not wearing a mask in a shop. If you guys saw that, that was filmed by a bad guy. Five minutes of fame. That was amazing. It was wild. Uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't his five minutes of fame. The second video, he was he, in no, a His list. day was a madness. Yeah, yeah. His day was a madness. That oriental person. Oh, in the in Yeah, that's the same I feel like we should talk about it. We should talk about that. We should talk about it. It has to be another episode. We've run out of time. If you don't follow Bad Guy Topper, he is an alternative to Smaid. Big in the game in terms of one of the biggest Afrobeats promoters in the UK. Um, does the Oroso Oh My festival? Um, what was I gonna say? Oh, so good. I don't know where I was going, but yeah. Um, Toba, we hail you. Your content is A1. Yeah, yeah. This week we spoke about um, the new Afrofusion wave, whether it's the right way to go or whether we're pandering to the Western world. We discussed um, the young mum and her baby leaving her for six days and the context around that. And obviously, we briefly touched on um, the passing of Blessing in her nursing course um, in Bournemouth. And then also to finish up, we touched on. How do I forget the last one? We just spoke about it now. Colonizer. Colonizer. Are we colonizers? Are we black colonizers? Are we black colonizers in the sense that we want to work our socks off in the UK with all the money we've earned and then go into Nigeria and thinking we can fix the solution for our own personal benefit? I don't know. Let us know your thoughts below. Comment, share, like, subscribe, and follow us. And NSARS. NSARS, NSWAT, and police brutality. <laughs> for a week's podcast on all social media platforms, I am underscore Gracie May. At Cindy Temi. That's all I'll wear. And I'll see you next week. Yeah.